Hi everyone, I'm Ben. And I'm Diana. Welcome to Filmscape, a movie reviewing podcast. Today, we're going to briefly talk about each Best Picture nominee at the recent Oscars and our reactions to some of the winners. And then we'll just briefly mention some other movies that we really liked and loved that were not nominated for anything. Diana, how did your predictions pan out? Did you get a lot right? I think I did, which was good. Yeah, I did as well. I got a lot of technical categories right. It was kind of nice to know... That we can guess certain things and then, I don't know, that on a human level you're like, ooh, what might work and what might be, you know, might be the winner and then it turns out that you're right. It's like, how do we as not the technical experts are able to still, you know, make these determinations or these guesses? I'm always so fascinated that some people just get it totally wrong and some people, they just get it spot on. I mean, I didn't, we obviously didn't get everything right, but we got, I think, quite a few things right, which was very reassuring to kind of think that okay well at least i'm noticing something that they're noticing as well i got best international film and cinematography right which were both all quiet on the western front that swept a lot of them which was nice to see because that was a really good movie i think the most surprising one was that jamie lee curtis won best supporting actress which i was certainly not expecting but her speech was really nice i know uh, it was it was cool that she won i guess yeah, I, I think I've seen a lot of this posted in places that, and, and I think you and I even discussed it through message the day of the Oscars, that sometimes the Academy will recognize an actor that generally because of the contributions that they have made in film, even though you think it's specifically about that movie. So I feel like they were giving her the award because of all her like contributions to movies that she's made over the many years. And yes, they liked her performance for that movie, but, you know, rather than it just being specifically like, okay, this is the one movie that you, that you're, you know, we're going to have all our focus of our analysis, you know, of who you should win. Yeah, they might do that sometimes. I personally think they should just give the award to the most deserving. Yeah, for that no specific what. film that you're doing. Yeah, that they're trying to critique. Yeah, I mean, that's what it's about. But, right. uh, you know, who knows? It's just a matter exactly. of opinion how they won or if they really, I mean... I think she probably deserved it. Angela Bassett could have won potentially, but I think unfortunately the movie she was in was just so bad that, um, you know, there's only so much you can do. And uh, I was also surprised that Kate Blanchett did not win. I know. But I'm glad Michelle Yeoh won. Yes, that uh, made me very happy. Like, I was just really excited to see her win. I've really enjoyed her her performances in the past, even if it wasn't in a film like this. But her performance in general, it was just great. And it was just obviously so committed. You know, it was very dynamic in general with the role because of in her portrayal. Even though I'm happy that All Quiet on the Western Front won a lot of things, I'm still so surprised that the Batman wasn't nominated for cinematography. Because even Roger Deakins said that he felt like it was, should have been nominated. Even if it didn't win, I think that it still deserved a nomination. I know. I, I was happy to see that since we actually said that in our last episode. It was nice to see Roger felt the same. Yeah. Yeah, I wasn't surprised that Ki Hui Kwan won for Everything Everywhere All at Once. 
And uh, I was surprised to see Brendan Fraser won for the whale, but I was very happily surprised because that's who I wanted to win. Mm -hmm. I think he was definitely the most deserving, even though... Yeah, it's just like what everyone calls the renaissance. (laughs) Yeah, so it is really heartwarming and wonderful to see his kind of full circle moment and being able to be recognized. I absolutely loved Ki-Hoi Kwan's speech, his, his general excitement, being able to basically make it in Hollywood and have recognition and in, 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 again, in another like dynamic role that in a movie that you wouldn't initially think would win a bunch of awards, but it, it did. And that's, I think that's really showing kind of, it is a weird award season, but at the same time, it's showing just how weird movies can win too. Yeah. I think the relevant movies certainly won a lot of the awards, especially the big categories, the ones that people actually watched and felt passionate about, as opposed to some other years where that does not happen at all. So I don't know if it was some kind of concerted effort to seem more relevant, or if Mm. Oscar winners are just completely anonymous and just submit what they personally feel like, and this is just how it shook out. But um, a lot of popular wins, which is good, because these popular wins were deserving. And I think that Leads us to the Best Picture nominations. Interesting movies. Not my favorite Best Picture nominations. Even though Everything Everywhere All at Once wasn't actually my personal favorite of all these top nominees. You know, it ended up sweeping everything. And it was nice to see such a creative, interesting, ambitious, audacious, different movie win. I think the main thing is that I just wish that Tar had won something, but right. I'm not. I'm also not surprised because Tar, I think, is very inaccessible and difficult and too highbrow for people. <laughs> it's a really challenging movie to sit through. I completely understand that. I grew to like it a lot more over time. When I first watched it, I said, "Huh, I guess I liked that." Oh yeah. There was a lot I admired, but th- then over time, I, I really to like it more and more and appreciate it so um you know i'm not surprised but i would have liked to have seen it win something yeah i'm with you on that that i do wish tar won something but i'm glad that it was nominated anyway like even though it didn't win the fact that it was nominated in itself even though it is very like highbrow and classy in a lot of ways but also psychological it it is a movie where you think oh yeah that would be nominated but the fact that it was in itself is an honor even though it didn't win which, I mean, yes, that's the only consolation is that, yes, it was nominated. But again, I'm glad it was at least on that roster, even though it's something that some people would think that would be really obvious as a winner. And also, there's so many movies that, I mean, didn't the Academy decide to expand the amount of nominations? Because wasn't it like only five before? The amount of nominations in the roster of Best Picture, if it had expanded from being a smaller number to a larger one, because I feel like... I had heard from other folks watching the Oscars that they felt like, wow, there were a lot of nominees for Best Picture. And they felt, at least for them, they felt like it was a lot more than usual. Over time, they've changed the number of Best Picture nominees from five to eight to ten. I think a few years ago it was nine. But I don't think it was down to five very recently. I Mm -hmm. think it's always been eight to ten for a while now. Pretty sure last year it was ten. Mm-hmm. In my opinion, I do not think all these movies deserve to be nominated for Best Picture, not even close. That said, I think five is too little. 
But I mean, I, I would have chosen other movies. Not not that I think that there weren't ten movies from last year that weren't worthy of being considered. But um, mm. I mean, Elvis, Avatar, really. There's even a few that people, a lot of film fans love that didn't really con- I didn't really connect with, like mm. Triangle of Sadness and the Banshees of Inisherin. Just to touch on those, Triangle of Sadness was an interesting movie. Uh, it just went on way too long. There's a lot of social commentary, and it's about these rich models on a yacht, and all these things go awry, and they get shipwrecked, and then one of the people who's in charge of the cleaning on the yacht kind of becomes the leader because she has actual skills, and all the rich models can't do anything. They don't have survival skills. So that, that element was interesting, but... There's some funny parts. It's really well acted, but the movie just went on way too long and petered out. Mm. I really wish there was a better conclusion. There's a lot of good things about it, but best picture, not not, not at all in my opinion. What did yeah. you think of uh, Elvis, Tiana? Oh, God. Okay, so uh, the best part of that movie, in my opinion, which I do believe I said the last, you know, our last episode was that to me, the best part was Austin Butler. Yes. Um, I felt like the movie was trying to do both it was choosing the colonels as the you know who's played by tom hanks as the narrator of the story it's i think that it's it wasn't the best choice and it was definitely i think that it can, that's when you run into the issue of a unreliable narrator you know that you don't know whether or not this person is telling everything straightforward or if it's just because of their angle and their position, you know, especially with the controversy relating to the colonel and the money relating to Elvis and taking his money. So I thought that the approach was pretty weird. And it was one of those movies where I really liked Austin Butler, but I kept watching thinking, okay, what's going to happen? But I ultimately got a headache (laughs) because there was just so much visually happening. There were a lot of like kind of quick cuts and transitions into something else to the point where I felt like I was watching one of those old timey movies where they have like a newspaper turning and on the screen and to show you like, oh, this is the big story. And after a while, it just became too much to look at. I even had to pause the movie because it was almost too visually stimulating. And then, but again, when they had the focus on Austin Butler, like that's what I enjoyed. And I enjoyed the actual moments when Tom Hanks's character wasn't narrating. Like to me, that was more of a fun experience but I think that again the narrator the way that they framed the movie didn't work well for me at least yeah I think I feel the same way as you do and especially with that swooping camera yes and all these montage sequences and the movie's way too long and it was weird to have the focus be from the colonel's perspective yeah I agree but there, there were a lot of parts I liked like you said Austin Butler's performance was great Women talking, I liked, but I wish a little more happened visually. It was kind of like a stage play. Mm -hmm. Some of the dialogue felt very declarative, not realistic. Mm -hmm. So I think it could have been a good deal better than it was. And wasn't Uh, it also filtered in a weird way? Yeah, that's another thing is visually it's very ugly. They made it super desaturated. I think I read that it was to give it the look of a black and white movie but in my opinion they just should have made it in black yeah they should have just committed yeah so yeah definitely some issues i had but it's a worthy movie to watch it's it's certainly an interesting story especially if that Mm -hmm. really happened i think it's based on a true story which is pretty amazing 
worth checking out for that and a lot of great acting even though almost too many great actors some of them may have been a little bit wasted too many good actors not enough screen time to display their ability yeah it's a short movie they're all just talking i know it's called women talking but i would have liked a little more happening this is a visual medium and that one best adapted screenplay yeah i guess that's nice and the banshees of Inish sharon I thought it was okay. I didn't really get a whole lot out of the plot. I was a little disappointed by the screenplay, I guess, because everything else about it was certainly very impressive. The acting, the directing, and the cinematography, the dialogue itself, and like the structure of it was really well done. Mm -hmm. But the plot just just wasn't quite there for me. But I mean, everyone loved it. Uh, What did you think of it? Yeah, so I think that it's one of those movies that over time, it kind of becomes more apparent or it reveals more about itself over time when you think about it. It's good to like movies that make you think and, and you know, keep you wondering like, well, what does that mean? And so, I mean, I really, I did like it a lot and I really loved everyone's performances. I think ultimately it has a few meanings. I mean, obviously part of it is about the war that's happening on the mainland. And then the other part is there's this war and people being, uh, you know, at ends with each other with friendship and people growing out of friendship and kind of that, even though people, they, you know, the main characters are best friends for decades, they end up in a situation where it's almost like people are in your life for a season and for a reason and they kind of take it to an extreme. To set this up a little Gleason, bit. You know, does and his character does. Yeah, I mean, it, it takes place in early 20th century Irish island and... Brendan Gleeson is friends with Colin Farrell and Colin Farrell is a bit of a simpleton and Brendan Gleeson kind of has this like existential crisis I guess and feels like his life is meaningless and he hasn't done anything so he kind of changes his whole personality and Colin Farrell is is sort of this like sweet innocent guy that has to deal with it and Brendan Gleeson gives him this ultimatum it's this sort of absurd proposition like it feels like an old it almost feels like an old fable yeah. from rural Ireland or something that would happen. Like, it's very psychological, and it's a really, really dark comedy. Yeah. It's the kind of thing that I should love, but uh, for some reason I just didn't fully connect with it. I just wanted a little more mm-hmm. from the, the plot, but I guess I understand why it does work for a lot of people. I mean, interesting note that that and Triangle of Sadness, Elvis and the Fablemans didn't win anything. They didn't take home any Oscars or Tar. But honestly, I'm really not that surprised that they didn't win anything. Hmm. I think this was the year of everything, everywhere, all at once. And I guess all quiet on the Western Front. They kind of swept everything. And I would say generally, those are well-deserved. But these are still worthwhile movies. I can't say I really love any of them. But like I said, it would have been nice if Tar won something. Banshees of Inisherin. I guess right. could, could have won a uh, an acting award or two. And then The Fablemans, I liked. Safe, comfortable movie. It's Steven Spielberg's kind of autobiographical story of becoming a young filmmaker and getting through his parents' divorce and how that really fueled some of the stories he would go on to make in the 70s and 80s with all his classic movies. And uh, it's not quite as like saccharine and schmaltzy as as he can get with some of his movies Mm -hmm. but it definitely has that it's kind of quirky it has a little bit of personality to it more than you might think so it's worth a watch but it's nothing too sensational or anything 
Yeah. I'm surprised that movie swept the Golden Globes, mm. but didn't get any Oscars, and Everything Everywhere All at Once got all the Oscars. I really would have thought it would be the other way around, because the Golden Globes oh, okay, seems yeah. more, I don't know, freewheeling and comedically focused to me than the Oscars. The Fableman seems like a total Oscar bait movie. That's kind of al- what it is. It's almost like they kind of swap places like to a degree, like what you were mentioning about you would think that some of the things that were nominated but didn't win in the Oscars would have won, you know, otherwise or vice versa, which is interesting. But I also think that maybe the people who were, even though, yes, they have to make these determinations in advance, I don't know how far in advance when they're voting, but I was wondering, you know, like, hmm, maybe some of these people saw what the results were with the Golden Globes and they were like, but I think this this deserves to win something. And so then they probably, maybe they make some sort of decision saying like, well, that one won that, but... I don't really think it's worthy of this. I'm going to make it win the winner of this. And some years they win both. I'm not sure how their what their processes are, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, some of the people who from the Academy watch the Golden Globes and then they think, oh, actually, you know, maybe I think that does deserve something. And, you know, and it, it's, it is worthy. Avatar, The Way of Water, visually stunning, amazing, breathtaking visual effects, kind of pedestrian plot. It was a guilty <laughs> pleasure for me. Diana, what do you think of it? Um, it made me laugh so hard watching you in the theater being like, ooh, pretty like pretty fake fish and the beauty of the water and all the aquatic life in there. You know, it's just, it again, it's very visually beautiful and stimulating and very long but <laughs> as a movie. Uh, but, you know, I enjoyed watching it because, again, the visuals are not something that we're seeing all the time with all the other movies, but it is kind of a nice, like, change plot was also kind of like okay it's not that that um yeah it was a guy who wanted revenge yeah it was very standard like it was very standard like marvel movie kind of plot Mm. serviceable dialogue whatever they spend all the effort and the money on the visual effects and how things are going to look that they don't pay as much attention to the plot or the dialogue almost i know yeah that's kind of james cameron's mo for a while now i appreciated the restraint and lack of constant obnoxious action scenes that Mm -hmm. so many big movies have especially the comic book ones like there's the whole middle hour there's like no action at all yeah and so i was just enjoying the vistas and i was appreciating that so like i said kind of a guilty pleasure movie but it is good Mm -hmm. in that way and everything everywhere all at once obviously i think a lot of people know what it's about but if you don't it's about a a chinese immigrant played by michelle yo running a laundromat and she gets thrust into the multiverse and has to contend with all these other universes and crazy dimensions and alternate versions of herself. And they start to invade her universe. And it's this crazy, philosophical, absurdist comedy kind of thing. Very much like The Matrix meets Kung Fu Hustle. And it's an amazing movie. I found some of the humor and crazy, mind-melting visuals all got to be a bit much after a while. Mm-hmm. And um, I really think it needed to be cut down a little bit. Because at a certain point when I watched it, it got really overwhelming. And I was like, oh God, I think this movie is really overstaying its welcome and grating on me. And then it, sa- <laughs> and then it saved itself at the end. And I, I really liked the ending. But about two thirds in, I just remember feeling that way. So it was it's quite an experience. I'm it glad is. everyone loves it. I'm glad it won the awards. Because despite that, it is overall a pretty incredible feat. I'm still just amazed about best editing because the fact that it won for that and then 
Paul Rogers won the award for best editing for everything, everywhere, all at once. Just to think that he learned those skills. I mean, it's only his second movie, his, you know, feature film movie. And then he learned a lot of those skills through YouTube, I'm pretty sure, which is really fascinating and very commendable on obviously the resources and accessibility of YouTube to teach people these skills that can win them awards, which is really cool. Yeah, it's kind of like the little movie that could. Yeah. And I feel like it should be noted that I'm pretty sure he had a small team of assistant editors yes. who did a lot as well. Because yes. while I was watching that movie, I remember being absolutely stunned by the editing and, right. and keeping track of all this. It was like mind boggling. So I'm sure it took a few people, but oh, yeah. uh, that was certainly a well-deserved win. Yes. I was super impressed by it, by the editing. The one thing I do want to mention about Everything Everywhere All at Once is, did you know that the Daniels, the directors, that they met while they were at Emerson College in Boston? Oh, really? I think I did read something about that, that they went there. Yeah. And Daniel Kwan is from Massachusetts. Hmm. Yeah. All right. Massachusetts yeah. represent. Yeah, they're, they're young guys. They're obviously super creative and have a real original voice. I actually saw their first movie many years ago, Swiss Army Man, starring <laughs> Harry Potter. I don't know if you saw it, Diana, but it's quite a fascinating movie. You should definitely watch it if you liked everything, everywhere, all at once. It's obviously much more simple and, you know, it was a smaller budget, obviously. Also very weird. Yes, but it's, it's incredibly strange and very different. Definitely worth watching. I, I'm probably in the minority, but I actually think Swiss Army Man is almost as good as everything, everywhere, all at once. I don't mm -hmm. really think they're that different in quality. I, I think they're both really solid movies swiss army man has a cult following oh yeah so it, it's on it, yeah it, it, it's one of the beloved movies from the a24 sort of independent movie studio that uh aren't probably aren't so independent because they just swept all the awards at this oscars including brendan fraser with the whales and a24 movie they're yeah. kind of the the very hip young movie lover film studio they release all kinds of stuff they released the lobster the Lighthouse, The Green Knight, so many great movies. The Tragedy of Macbeth. I mean, we're very big fans of A24. So. Oh, yeah. Lady Bird. They've done so many movies. So I'm glad they're continuing to dominate the awards circuit and getting more attention. Moonlight, the one best picture, that was an A24 movie as well. So All Quiet on the Western Front is a sort of remake of... The original classic, but it's much longer. I think they changed the plot around a lot. Hmm. Uh, visually stunning, super high quality German production. It's two and a half hours long. Mm -hmm. uh, long stretches of time without any warfare. So if you're not crazy about war movies, maybe, or you're a little sensitive, I think it might be worth checking but, out. But there are, but when war, when events of war do happen, when there's actual violence and fighting, it can be pretty graphic and oh, yeah. like I just remember there was one scene that I literally like I'm pretty sure I like I almost covered my eyes because someone was being run over by a tank. So like <laughs> you know, so like that was something where I was like, ah sorry, that, that sentence just makes me laugh. You know? I had I, to cover my eyes because someone was getting run over by a tank. Yeah, I just it's like, oh, okay, I knew that they were gonna show war, but I didn't expect that part. When so. you say that it just makes me think of when uh one of the Indiana Jones movies that happens, and it's kind of played for laughs. I know, but in this one, it's it's more like... But for the longest time, that's the only guy running over by a tank scene I've ever watched, so I that's know. what I think of. But but I also think that when it happens in this film, you know, the main character, 
has his friends that his comrades that he he knew growing up that were also in war and gradually like they're dying or he's being separated from them while they're fighting i think that when the scene happens he's like being separated from another friend and so it's all the more like shocking for him because he's seeing all this death and then separation and he really feels alone so the movie's really just trying to show that desperation yes it's a very effective anti-war movie worth watching one of my favorites yeah especially because again it, it just starts out being everyone's so excited like i'm young i can fight in the war i'm virile and i can do it and then they become dis they become disillusioned about what war really is and just how terrible it it is when you're in, in the midst of it oh yeah and, you know that reality just like smacks people in the face and so yeah you're right it's just very effective at being an anti-war mo- movie yeah i'm glad it won all those awards well deserved Top Gun Maverick was the big blockbuster of last year. I don't know if it's Oscar worthy, but it was one of my favorites of these nominations. So why not? I think the main thing I loved about the movie was how real it all felt. And I think a big part of that was, you know, God bless that weirdo Tom Cruise. He insisted that everything be as real as possible. You know, no fake jets that aren't even in the sky. No just green screen everywhere and faking it. Like he really had them be in real jets do some real flying, you know, with the actual pilot, of course. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's kind of the selling point of the movie. I think that's the ultimate point. And there was even some, like, emotional resonance there. I wasn't hugely interested in even watching this in the first place. It was only after I heard how much everyone loved it. I was like, okay, I'll give it a shot. Yeah. I mean, I, I like action movies well enough. I mean, if they're well done and, you know, really effective. And this one was definitely really well made, really enjoyable. Like I said, there's some emotional impact especially one scene with uh, Goose, the return of Val Kilmer, who's unfortunately ill, is too ill to really act in a lot of the movie, but but he got one scene, which was really nice. So obviously, if you, if you really like the first Top Gun movie or whatever, then this is like a total, uh, total dream come true as far as sequel goes. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, right on, with, right on with that. I think you honestly said everything I, w- I would have said. <laughs> Tar... We touched on that before. I I really liked that movie. Probably my favorite of all of these, which is weird. It's definitely a dark psychological drama about this renowned classical conductor played by Kate Blanchett kind of slowly losing her mind and dealing with her ego and how she treats others. And it, it touches on a lot of topics. It's she's not a likable character. Weird movie, but super interesting, very thought provoking. A lot of kind of unnerving sequences kind of from inside her mind. And uh, Kate Blanchett was absolutely incredible in it. That's why I was rooting for her to win because that movie was just, she completely carried it. And uh, it was a, it's a great movie anyway, but it's really her thing. So the movie kind of makes you question, is it in her head? What's real? What isn't? The events that are happening with her and... and, Yeah, it's so interesting. Like when the movie keeps showing this like maze pattern and it shows up like, like on a sheet of paper and it shows up in all these weird places that it wouldn't be and sometimes it's not even have any attention drawn to it like a scene will just start and it, it was just very like unnerving and there's one sequence in particular that where she she thinks she's hearing all this screaming when she's outside on a run and she goes towards it and then it doesn't end up being anything and it's just like it's almost like a horror movie but I think it's all just to display her like fragmented state of mind and, yeah. and you know it's, it's an interesting interesting movie 
it's not easy to watch, but I would definitely recommend it, obviously. But many of my favorite movies weren't even nominated for Best Picture. My favorite movie of the whole year, without a doubt, was The Northman, an incredible Viking revenge historical thriller by the amazing Robert Eggers, who made The Witch and The Lighthouse, with an all-star cast of Alexander Skarsgård, Nicole Kidman, Ethan Hawke, Bjork has a cameo, Anya Taylor-Joy, and it's essentially the story of Hamlet, but based on the actual legend that Hamlet was based on by Shakespeare. Now, behold. He's here. He's here. Mother! Father is here! The king, my lady. The king. Your fate is set and you cannot escape it. How oh, I've missed you, my son. One day this kingdom will be yours. Thank you, Father. My king. elements to it it kind of reminded me of elder scrolls 5 skyrim the video game which i was obsessed with for a while when i was younger so i'm surprised that wasn't nominated for anything but it's a pretty brutal medieval movie and uh definitely my kind of thing why would you stow away to such a hellish place to find what was stolen from me and what is that? The kingdom. You must choose between kindness for your kin or hate for your enemies. Your strength breaks men's bones. I have the cunning to break their minds. And night by night, we will carry out my pledge of vengeance. I will avenge you, father. I will avenge you. I loved how dark it was to show, like, just, like, how kind of, like, dirty and grungy it was. and Yeah, know, there's so much attention to detail. Yeah, exactly. There was so much attention to detail. I mean, even the way that Alexander Skarsgård is walking to, like, he had to work on that walk to, like, kind of look more, like, I don't want to say it this way, but more caveman-ish. Like, you yeah, know, it was, like, just, beastly. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah, I just, I, I really enjoyed that movie a lot and to the point where, I literally kept telling family members, oh, yeah, you should watch it. Like, I really do think you'll like it. Like, the people who would. And um, Yeah, it's certainly not for everyone. No. I will save you, mother. I will save you, mother. I will kill you, father. It 
think a movie like Gladiator or mm. Braveheart or even The Lord of the Rings, something like that that has mass appeal, that kind of thing meets an art house abstract kind of movie like Valhalla Rising is the only one I can really think of where it's it's medieval times and the Green Knight from last year definitely which was my favorite movie of last year and this is my favorite movie this year so my kind of thing so um, I went into it expecting to love it but it, it just absolutely blew me away there's some really strange visuals yeah really strange like heavenly dreamlike visuals and like chanting like they do all these like ceremonies as vikings and it's it's super historically accurate the writer director is known for that i also love kind of the twist of the film that there's an amazing twist yeah what but i think it's hilarious is the fact that nicole kidman plays alexander skarsgård's mom in this movie but i'm pretty sure that in I forget what show. Big Little Lies. Yeah, Big Little Lies that they're together. They play husband and wife. Yeah. So it's just so... They only have like an eight-year age difference. It's funny that they're mother and son in this. In this movie, yeah. There's a big time jump from the beginning, which kind of sets it off. Because the story of Hamlet, which is a very tried-and-true template for like, you know, a revenge tale, gladiator, it's similar. It's, right. it's the exiled main character who's exiled in his family gets killed and he he has to go away because some wayward corrupt member of the royalty overthrows the kingdom and the heir apparent gets cast away and then he has to come back and get revenge on the bastard who did it very simplified tale of hamlet and there's just hearing that many movies kind of follow that type of thing so this is sort of taking that relatively simple story and adding all these cool details and all these side stories and, yeah. and interesting things and characters to it and it's just like incredible i thought so yeah and the elements to it. it's really it's, it's just i i love just how it was executed yes it's a brilliant work of art and a few other favorites of ours i think that were not recognized by the major awards was obviously the batman which we, we really liked pearl yeah it's a really cool movie psychological horror very hitchcock I thought yeah. it's a companion to uh, the slasher film called X, where the character is actually an old lady in that. And this is her origin story, I guess, growing up on a farm during World War One and kind of losing her mind and becoming a serial killer, essentially, who just really wants to be a star. It's kind of a black comedy. Mia Goth giving an amazing performance. Obviously, I think a little too transgressive for uh, the Oscars. Also from A24. <laughs> yeah. Nope. I was surprised Nope didn't get oh, anything. God. That was such a cool movie. Alien invasion movie. I mean, even the like the design of the alien, I feel like that should even want something because it's just the way that it was put onto the screen where it really looked it, like, you know, a lot of the time when CGI or is put onto, you know, in a movie, it's just so apparent that it's fake. But I feel like with Nope, it was executed so in such a classy way that I really felt like there was some sort of alien ship there. Yeah, and what the ship eventually reveals itself to be, which is a big part of it. And uh, yeah, Jordan Peele has just really proven himself time and time again to be a pretty incredible director of these uh, thrillers, I guess. And uh, yeah, Nope, that amazing cinematography. I like to bring up cinematography. That should have been nominated for, I think, at least a few things. I love the design of the alien as well. And, you know, visual effects and CGI, 
they look good always pretty much well lately sometimes they look kind of fake which is surprising but generally it always looks good but a movie like nope kind of goes above and beyond with just looking so integrated and realistic with everything else so i think it should have been classy enough to uh to get some kind of recognition but whatever and then lastly two movies that were nominated were Pinocchio and Marcel the Shell with Shoes On, which, as far as I'm concerned, should have been among the Best Picture nominees. I know they have their own category of animated, but those really stood out to me as being two of the very best movies of the year. And I was very happy to see one of them win, it being Pinocchio. Well, I mean, that's why Guillermo del Toro said that animation is cinema and that it needs to be taken more seriously because it's not just for children. There's so many stories that can be told through animation and just the way that, it, and also just the amount of work that's put into it to make it look a certain way. I mean, whether it is claymation or puppets or actual kind of a cartoon format. Like a hand-drawn yeah, 2D hand-drawn. animation. Exactly. Which unfortunately has kind of died. I know. But like stop motion has really made a return this year. Both those movies are actually stop motion, Pinocchio and Marcel. Yeah. Yeah, it'd be nice if some hand-drawn animation came back. I know it's... I guess it's more labor intensive than just doing it with uh, like CGI, but I was so glad to see not one but two outstanding stop motion movies this year, Marcel and Pinocchio. Yep. And uh, those are absolutely, I would recommend to anyone and everyone, like actually, they're wonderful works of art. Marcel was A24, and um, Pinocchio was another wonderful Guillermo del Toro film. So that was 2022. Are there any in 2023 you're looking forward to? Anything you look forward to the most this year you can think of? Even though it's not something that I think would ever be nominated Oscar-wise. No, I just uh, mean anything. I am very curious to see how the X movie trilogy will end with Maxine. Oh, yeah. So I am curious about that. But I can't really think of other movies at this time. My most anticipated movie, I think, would be Oppenheimer. Oh, yes. I'm very curious to see how that'll turn out. Yes, I really want to... I, okay, so first off, I love the visuals in the trailer, and that makes me really excited to see what is, how is that going to pan out. Yeah, an, an incredible cast. Killian Murphy, Matt Damon, Emily Blunt, Florence Pugh. Yeah, that, that looks like it'll be really something. Oh, yeah. David Fincher's back with The Killer. Definitely something in his wheelhouse. It's like a neo-noir psychological thriller about an assassin played by Michael Fassbender who has like a crisis of conscience I think I think it's based on some comic book that's cool but that should be awesome that'll be on Netflix Tilda Swinton co-stars in that there's a bunch of movies I I don't think Nosferatu is going to come out this year that's the uh, next movie by the the Northman director but I think that'll come out 2024 so but yeah lots of interesting ones to, to look forward to yeah I guess that'll just about do it Goodbye, 2022. Hello, Cocaine Bear. The next episode will be about Cocaine Bear. No, I'm kidding. Um. <laughs> Hi, Film Booze. If you want to contact us with any questions or comments or thoughts on the film, you can reach us at filmscaped at gmail.com. That's F-I-L-M-S-C-A-P-E-D at gmail.com. We have a website called filmscapepodcast.com. We also have an Instagram, at Filmscape Podcast, which you should definitely follow if you are not already. Please remember to rate and review and subscribe. On the podcast platform of your choice. Thanks.